Hey there, everyone. I'm going to be uh, uh, preaching today um, from Numbers uh, chapter 14. So if you do have your Bibles with you, as always, we encourage you to go old school here. Uh, turn to Numbers chapter 14 uh, while I lay a bit of a groundwork and, and a bit of context for today. Um, if you have a notebook uh, or a pen, uh, you can write down the title of today's sermon, which is this, A Different Spirit. A Different Spirit. You know, just in uh, thinking about this year that's ahead of us, you know, 2022, you know, a lot of texting back and forth. Some of my friends saying we really do feel like we're living in a sci-fi uh, movie, you know, with all these new years that we've got to grow accustomed to writing. Um, and uh, thinking about the situation that's happening in Ontario now, the reason why we have to do things the way we're doing it now. Uh, thinking about the situation uh, in our province, uh, in this country, and, and really a situation in, in the world today. The question always at the beginning of the year, you know, regardless of a pandemic going on, it's always like, what do we say, you know, to get people off? It's like that pressure, that first sermon that is to be preached. Like, what, what do we say? Because let's stop for a moment and think back to 2020. We all remember what those, you know, New Year's messages in 2020 were, were like. You know, great little statements like the year to see clear, right? 2020 vision. And, and in reality, that only lasted about two and a half months. <laughs> you know, two and a half months March hit, hit us and everything changed for everybody in so, some so significant ways. And so, you know, you think about 2022. It's two years into this pandemic. And, uh, and much like, I guess, Christmas and Easter, where people expect a message, they kind of know what's coming. You know, the birth of Jesus around Christmas, the death of Jesus around Easter. Uh, New Year is the same thing. People walk into a church or they sit in front of a sermon and they kind of expect there's going to be kind of a rah-rah, let's do it, take this year on. Uh, and, you know, and I think more than ever, we have to be very careful how we frame the years ahead of us because we realize, man, things can go wrong very quickly hey, and go uh, in, in, in ways different than what we anticipate and expect. And so, you know, I was thinking about how to keep this moment fresh for our church in terms of where we find ourselves. And I felt God lead me to uh, Numbers 14, um, where uh, he spoke of Caleb. Now, Caleb was one of the 12 spies together with Joshua. Uh, Joshua led the, the, the nation of Israel into the promised land. But before they went, 12 spies were sent into the promised land, and they came back with a report about what the country was like before they would go take possession of it. And Joshua and Caleb had a good report, and the others had a bad one. And we'll look at some of the context in a moment. But it was said of Caleb, uh, this in Numbers 14, verse 24, if you can find that uh, in your Bibles. This is what God says about Caleb. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Possess it. So it was said of Caleb, and of course, Joshua is kind of included in that, but I want to highlight Caleb today, that he had a different spirit to the, the negative and the pessimist people uh, around him. And, and that's the question I want to throw out to us today. What does it mean to have a different spirit like Caleb? Does it mean you have to just be crazy optimistic, you know, a glass half full kind of person? Reminds me of a psychiatrist, you know, who, who he had two sons, right? And his one son was an extremely pessimistic individual. And to the contrary, his other son was a complete optimist, super optimistic. And he thought as a psychiatrist, I'm going to do a bit of a social experiment in my house over the Christmas time. We've just come out of Christmas, so I think this can connect with many of us. And he said, I'm going to 
fill my pessimistic son's room with hundreds of wrapped up gifts. But what I'm going to do in my optimistic son's room is I'm going to just bring a whole pile of horse dung, horse manure, and just plonk it into the middle of his room and see how these three boys react. And so Christmas morning came and the psychiatrist goes out and, and he looks at his pessimistic boy's uh, face in his room and he's just sitting in the middle of all these gifts and he's very suspiciously staring at the gifts that are being wrapped around him, like very concerned, not quite sure what to do with it. And then he turns to his other room of the optimistic boy's room. And to his surprise, he sees this boy filled with joy, digging happily in the, in the manure, in the dung. And, and he asked his son, my, my goodness, what is going on? And the boy's response was this, Daddy, with all this horse dung, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> and and that's, that's the picture of an optimistic person, right? In the middle of dung, think, you know, horse dung, thinking there should be a horse somewhere at least. Is this the case with Caleb? Is this the attitude that Caleb had? Was he just like a very bouncy, positive kind of guy? It's like, bring anything on and, and I can do it. Or was there something else going on? And I think for us to know the answer to that question, we've got to compare Caleb to obviously the other people around him that were pessimistic to be able to get this answer. How did the others re- think and react in this moment? And, um, and we're going to have to just stop for a moment. And I want to just paint a picture of the context of the statement that God made about Caleb. And so, you know, you don't have to turn there, but it kind of begins in Numbers chapter 11. You will see from then onwards, there's actually quite a bit of complaining going around, right? It's just like complaint after complaint. So Numbers 11, the people start to grumble and complain. They are kind of sick of the miraculous manner that God has been providing them. So if you know your, your, your scriptures, you know that the history of Israel taken out of slavery into the wilderness, you know, on their way to the promised land. And God feeds them miraculously with manna, bread that falls from heaven. I mean, that's, that's a good deal. Okay. And, uh, and they start complaining and they're grumbling about it. And they're like wishing they, they have meat. They're like, yeah, all this bread, we just want some meat. Now I can understand to some extent, okay, how these Israelites feel. I'm a meat man myself. So, so let's give them a bit, of, a bit of grace. But they're complaining and they, they're longing to be back in Egypt, which is crazy. They were enslaved in Egypt, okay? And, and, and to make matters worse, Moses then starts to complain to God about the complaining Israelites, okay? So it's like adding complaints above com, on, onto complaints. And uh, he's saying, God, you know, why must I carry the burden of all these complaining people? And, and, you know, God helps him out a little bit and he shares the burden with a few other leaders and so on. God actually also ends up uh, organizing meat for the Israelites. And he says, okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And he gave them so much meat they got sick of it as well. (laughs) Um, but, 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 you know, the Israelites complained. Moses complained about the Israelites complaining. And then Moses' siblings, Aaron and Miriam, his sister, they start complaining about Moses and, and about, you know, the wife that he selected because, you know, she was a Cushite, I think. Um, and so there's all this complaining happening right before they enter into the promised land. And to make matters worse, they send these spies out to go have a look at it. And what happens when they come back? There's actually a bit more complaining that takes place too. At the end of Numbers 13, you don't have to turn there, but you can kind of see how negative and pessimistic these leaders, these spies were, and how they stirred up pessimism and negativity in the people around them. So it kind of hit this, uh, hit, hit this height of complaints. And, and 
Their report was pretty bad. I mean, this is what the scripture says. They brought a bad report, a negative report. Ten of the 12 spies. There's some good in there. We'll get to it in a moment. And, and most of the commentators say that there was some exaggeration in there. They were complaining, for example, they're saying the people are so much stronger than we are. And we are weak. They're so much bigger than we are over there. And we are small. You know, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And, and, and like I said, the commentators say they, they're exaggerating a bit because they're referring to the descendants of, of, uh, um, of, 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 a, of a race that, that we learned about actually in uh, Second Peter. Yeah, I think the descendants of, of Amalek. I can't remember the, the, the word exactly. But it, it, uh, if, you, if you, you know, read the, 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 the scriptures, you realize that you know, they were all annihilated in the flood anyway. Okay? So it, it couldn't have been them. But these people are just saying, oh, no, no, they're giants. Okay? They, they're going to wipe us out. And we're grasshoppers. We're small. And so they talk about fortified cities. And some people say, in terms of archaeology, they haven't quite found as much of that. Maybe they haven't found it yet. But it's very likely that these people are exaggerating about the state of the, 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 the place that they are, are to possess. So it's just really, really negative. And what happens? This, the negativity of the spies rubs off onto the people, and the people are negative as well. And you, and you see there right at the end, um, you know, they are crying all night, you know, in the beginning of chapter 14, weeping all night, uh, pining to go back to Egypt where they were enslaved. enslaved. And uh, we will read some of their responses together in a moment. Okay, so... I want you to stop for a moment. And I want you to think about our context, the, the time, the day that we find ourselves in. And I personally think this sounds a lot like some of the Facebook feeds and the Twitter feeds that we have around us. It's just complaint upon complaint, pessimism, negativity. You know, it's all going down. And so, you know, we, we look at that and we go, that's crazy. But we have to stop and go, actually, isn't that what we are surrounded with as well? I think it's, I think it's the case. I, I read an, uh, uh, an interview that Timothy Keller, he's a, a well-known theologian uh, from New York City. We, we as a church, we lean a lot on his writings and what he teaches. And he was asked about ministry in our day. Uh, and in comparison with, he's, he's an older man, uh, you know, the ministry years that he's ha- done over, over decades and decades. And he, he, he said he's never seen anything like this. So I'm going to quote a little bit of what, what he said in this article. He says, people are being formed. And now when he says people, he's actually referring to Christians. So, so much like the Israelites were the people of God. I'm also speaking now to the church. I'm speaking to the Christians. He's speaking to the Christians. Christians are being formed by an immersive form of public discourse. Far more than they are being formed by the church. I want you to remember that. People are being radicalized by extremely effective and completely immersive internet and social media loops news feeds, and communities. And the primary way that it persuades people is through outrage versus having a, you know, a healthy argument, through outrage. And I think we can, you know, we, we listen to that and we think, we, we look at the Israelites and how they, how they outraged by the thing. And, and, I, and I think, hey, listen, we can agree. We can nod our heads. There's so much negativity today. More than there was perhaps a year ago or two years ago. It just feels like it's like this ambient negativity. And we can agree that it's magnetic. People somehow are drawn to bad news. People are drawn to pessimism. And the question is, for us as Christians who are following Jesus, are we being sucked into it? Are we being sucked into it? Are we being drawn to it as well? And do we respond in a similar way? Or can we respond with a different spirit like Caleb? That is the challenge out to us in this year that's ahead, where there are so many question marks still, unanswered questions perhaps. 
And I want to take it even a step further. Not that are we, uh, are we sucked into it or do we reject it, but are we also grieved by the negativity and the pessimism around us? Because that was actually the case with Caleb and Joshua. So Caleb and Joshua tells us that they actually tore their clothes. In, in, you know, that's Bible code for very sad, extremely sorrowful. They tore their clothes. They mourned for these people who are believing the lies instead of the truth. Do we mourn for those who are trapped in that downward spiral of negativity? Are we genuinely sad about their viewpoints and actually do what Caleb does? It, it tells us at the end of chapter 14, uh, 13, sorry, that Caleb silenced the people. Like there was a, there was a, uh, a front-footedness to his approach. He didn't just go, ah, I don't associate with them. He's like, no, 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 no. He silenced them and says, we can do this. God's on our side. And, 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 and so there was a sense that they didn't just settle for the bad opinions. They were mourning. They tore their clothes and then they responded like this. Maybe you can read with me. I'm going to read from verse 7 in chapter 14. This is what Joshua and Caleb says. And they said to all the congregation and the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now I want you to compare that optimistic response to the different uh, uh, you know, pessimistic response from the others. Let's rewind back to verse 2, to all the way to verse 4. It says this um, in chapter 14. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Such a different response between these two. And, and, and we can see here that their pessimism challenged God's purposes and it challenged God's power. They were doubting God's purposes and, and his power in that moment. I mean, first of all, if you're writing this down, number one, they wish that they were dead or they wish that they had died. I mean, that's a clue that there's some serious negativity going around. Is eh? <laughs> you can't even see that there's a, the gift of life in your hands in that moment, that you're alive. You shouldn't be, but they are. They've been fed, you know, by the manna from heaven for so long. They've been sustained. Life is there, but they wish they're dead. It's terrible. They're not even valuing the gift of life. Number two, they're doubting God's motives. All right, in verse 3, we see that they have serious trust issues. Like, why did he bring us out here only to fall by the sword? As if God had some hidden agenda. You know, like, ah, let me pretend like I'm going to rescue them and then I'm going to destroy them. Like, they, they, they're doubting God's motives, that he wants the best for them. They have trust issues. Uh, number three, they doubted God's power. God's power, because they say, you know, our wives and our, our children will become prey. So they're like basically saying, God's not able to protect that which is precious to them. They, they're doubting God's power. And then, of course, they're looking to and they're longing for the past. I tell you, friends, there's one place you and I cannot go. 
and that is back. We cannot go back. You know, over this holiday time, uh, one of the things we did as a family, or at least I did, um, was I was going through our old photos. We have a hard drive with just hundreds and hundreds of photos. You know, you have a thousand photos of your first child, and then you have three, three photos of your second child and one photo of your fourth. And I think we're still trying to find photos of Travis. But, you know, we, we, we're going through these highlights, and, and we've been printing them out, these photo books that we have. as Because as, that's, that's the closest we can get to the past. You know, I look at my, my, my 16-year-old boy. He's almost 17. And, you know, I miss the tiny little version of Liam. <laughs> but I could, I could never go back. All I have is some videos and pictures. You know, we, we can't, we, we, it's not good for us to want to live in the past. It's not good for these people to long for and look to the past. No one can go there. And then it culminates in them distrusting their leadership, doubting people that are in charge. Doubting their motives, not just God's, but their motives. So, so it's, a, it's a downward spiral. But I, I don't want us to just derive lessons from their pessimistic response. I would like for us to look at the positive words of Caleb and Joshua and, and, and actually learn from, from them. Because they never denied that there's opposition. They never denied that it, it will be a fight. It will be a battle going into the promised land. But they trusted God in spite of those things. That's what I want us to, to, to take with us today. And so, so let's look at their response, which we learned from verses 7 to 9 in chapter 14. Now, in verse 8, it, they said, if the Lord delights in us. So number one there is they believe that the Lord delighted in them, that he loves them, that he, that, that, that he is for them, that, that his motive to, to rescue them is because he loves them. You know, they, they were convinced of God's delight as opposed to the others who said, brought us out here just to kill us. Secondly, they believed that God was in fact leading them because they said the Lord will bring us into this land. In other words, convinced of God's help. If, if God's leading them, the Lord's, God's bringing them, which he has been doing, by the way, it tells us that there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that moved and they had to follow. It was like God was their guide. <laughs> I mean, how, you know, they completely lost perspective. They've completely allowed the bad report to blur their vision of God and what he's been doing. And so, so, so Caleb was saying, God will bring us. He will lead us. He will help us. Thirdly, he said, God will provide for us. Because he says, he will not just bring us into the land, but he will give it to us. Give it to us. That's a, that's, that's a picture of grace, of saying, you don't need to earn this. God is for you. He's going to give it to you as a gift. If he's led you this far, he's going to give it to you. Isn't that incredible? God will provide. Trust him. And then in verse 9 of chapter 14, he, he just says, do not rebel against the Lord. In other words, Caleb and Joshua were submitted to God. The opposite of someone submitted is someone who's rebelling. He said, don't rebel, submit to the Lord. And so someone with a different spirit is someone who's submitted to God. Someone who knows that God delights in you, that God is leading you, that God is providing for you. And then one, two, three, four. Fifthly, that... Um, they, they were uh, uh, um, individuals who feared God. They feared God. They had a proper perspective of who was strong and who was weak. Because they said, do not fear the people. They were like, yeah, they're bigger than us. Okay, maybe. They're stronger than us, more muscles. But God's bigger than them. Okay, so they, they, they feared God instead of fearing man, instead of fearing people. They had a proper perspective of weakness and strength. And lastly... They had God's presence. This is an amazing thing. I mean, if, if you take anything home with you, take this one. 
God was with them. He said, the Lord is with us, is what they said. Do not fear them. And this dates you know, back to a promise in Exodus 33, just as they were liberated in an interaction that Moses had with God. And God, Moses said, don't send us out from here unless your presence go with us. Otherwise, what else will set us apart from the other people on the face of the earth? They're facing that moment right now. They're the Canaanites and here are the Israelites. What sets them apart? The presence of God. God is with them. You know, one of the devotions that my, my Bible reading program uh, is taking me through this year on Saturday was Psalm chapter 2. Interesting psalm because it starts off by saying, why do the nations rage and they plot in vain against the Lord? It's like, come on, you know, there's no kingdom that can overthrow the kingdom of God, really, what it's saying. And, uh, and it's interesting because um, it, it asks leaders to be wise and, and kingdoms to be wise by fearing the Lord. And it's saying this, it says, um, serve God with fear and rejoice with trembling. And, and the psalm talks a little bit about God's wrath and his fury. Even in these verses that we read here, you see God's anger kindled against the sin of the Israelites. So God is holy. But at the same time in the psalm, it says, kiss the son, which is a picture of Jesus. Kiss the son. And it says, take refuge in God. And only in the gospel do we find this incredible tension of a holy God that is to be feared that invites us near <laughs> and close. This is... This is what we see here, and Moses, okay, knew this as well. Now, Caleb and Joshua were, you know, under, under shepherds, under leaders of Moses. So they learned from their leader, Moses. Moses knew this tension as well, because in verse 11, the Lord says to Moses, I'll just read it to you. He says, how long will these people despise me? I want you to just stop and think about that word. He's saying that their distrust in him is the same as hating him. Why do they despise me? So, you know, our lack of faith in God, you know, think of it in those terms. It's like not loving God. And he says, Why, how long will they, will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? That's the question we should be asking ourselves as well. Hey, wait a minute. I read, you know, the previous chapters. I know what God has done. What's going on here? Okay. And, and remember, we, we sometimes like that too, right? There's so many instances of God's faithfulness in our lives. And then we find ourselves looking at 2021 going, oh, here we go. Another one of these, another doozy. No, God is faithful, okay? But Moses, Moses, Moses I'll, give, I'll call him Moses. I like it, you know? <laughs> Moses actually uses God's track record, his goodness and his faithfulness to them as a, as a way to intercede for these Israelites that are, you know, walking on thin ice right now, really. That's a great uh, analogy for the winter here in Canada, walking on thin ice. Um, and uh, he's saying, to, you know, in chapter 14, verse 13 to 16, he says to God, other nations know of what you've done. The word has gone out that you lead, led them by, you know, uh, with pillar of fire. You've delivered them out of Egypt. He's like, don't wipe them out now. Otherwise, your, your fame and your name uh, will, be, um, will be discredited. So he actually uses God's faithfulness. And this is what I love. I want you to, to, to pay attention to this moment. He then quotes what God said to him back in Exodus 33 and 34. He quotes it back to God. And, and he says in verses 18 to 19, he says, look, you said, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Verse 19, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to your greatness or to the greatness of your steadfast love. 
just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. God has been kind, merciful, despite the grumbling, despite the negativity, the distrust in him. He is just merciful, gracious, forgiving. And Moses reminds God of that. And now I want to stop and, 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 um, and just spend a bit of time here. Because Moses in that moment, if you go back to Exodus 33 and 34, he was being catechized by God. What does that mean? A catechism is like when you, when you teach somebody by means of questions and answers. You ask a question and then you provide an answer. And, and Moses was asking God a question. He was saying, show me your ways. He said, Lord, show me your glory. Who are you, God? Right? He's been asking that question from the burning bush moment, okay, where God said, I am that I am. And, and, and it's amazing that God answered him. He catechized him. He, he had a question. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll answer you. And these words that we just read were the, was the answer that God gave to Moses. That I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, and so on. And so, I mean, I think that Moses must have meditated on these words constantly. So that he's able to, in that moment, say to God, ha, 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 remember what you said to me about you? That, that's, this is who you are. This is who I believe you to be. And why am I saying this? Because I believe that we are being catechized by our culture. We are being catechized by our culture. Their narrative, the narrative of this world, the, the, a world where there is very little truth. There, there's little, little grace. Where man is at the center of the story and God is pushed away. This is the culture. And I think the scales are being tipped and the balance is off in terms of information coming to us. Okay? What I mean by that? How much time do you and I meditate on and get our answers from the Lord, from the scriptures, as opposed to the world? Just think about even just your work environment. Maybe you work online a lot and you find yourself bombarded with messages from our culture, is, do you get more of that than you get of the scriptures? Or do you anchor yourself in the scriptures that when it comes, you are catechized by God's truth as opposed to the world? Because like I said, Caleb quieted the people. He silenced the voices around him. Are you able to silence the voices of the culture because you have the voice of the Lord? Silence the, 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 the message of, of the culture because you have the message of God. I want to recommend a book to you. I read this in 2021, and I, and I want to commend this to everybody at City Gates. It's called The Wisdom Pyramid. It's written by Brett McCracken. He's actually a friend of City Gates. He's in our advanced movement. He's been to City Gates about seven years ago. He's visited us. Um, excellent book, The Wisdom Pyramid. And in here, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, one of the quotes is, everybody in our culture has a megaphone, but not everyone has a filter. Like everyone's got a megaphone, no one's got a filter. Things like our culture is driven more by rage than reality. Our culture is driven more by fear, more than it is by facts. And, and, and he proposes here a way to live by, he calls it the wisdom pyramid. You might be familiar with the food pyramid, right? Like at the bottom is the stuff you must have, you know, the meat and potatoes. And at the top, right at the top, it's the Halloween candy, okay? Like he's just saying like, you can't have the candy at the bottom, and, and the meat and potatoes at the top, you will surely die. Okay, that's, that's not a prophetic word. It's science. <laughs> okay, so, so he's suggesting that's the same with our emotional well-being. You know, and, and the wisdom pyramid, you know, he talks about at the bottom is the scriptures, of course. 
And then there is the community of God, the church. And then there is the, the, the creation that we learn from God's wisdom and creation. And then there's, you know, us as he's created beings making things like art and music, you know, uh, the creators in his image. And then after that only is the internet, right? It's right at the top. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, he's encouraging us to change our eating habits. And I think if we get the order of eating right, we will find ourselves like Caleb and like Moses with a different spirit, responding very differently to what's going on around us. Because we, we, I, just, I just don't want to be, you know, part of Tim Keller's assessment of our, our day, that actually we find ourselves catechized by the world as opposed to by the Lord, by the kingdom of this world as opposed to by the, uh, by the kingdom of heaven. We will have a different spirit. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to make any New Year's resolutions, <laughs> let it be this one. That we find ourselves, like Moses, convinced of who God is because we spend time with him in his word. Let's just be honest. And in closing here, you know, I, 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 I don't think the aim here is to be like Caleb. I mean, he was a great example. But let's be honest. We don't always find ourselves acting like Caleb. Hey? We don't always live like him. We're more like the 10 spies and the rest of Israel as a result. We fear giants in our lives. We, uh, we fear the cost of taking ground for, for the kingdom's sake. We, we fear men and we keep quiet. Like we, we're more like those people. We doubt God's goodness. You know, we go into a new year and we think, oh, what, what's God going to, you know, expose me to this year? We, we're more like them than we are like uh, Caleb and Joshua. And, you know, Joshua is actually a picture. He led the, the nation eventually with Caleb into the promised land. And he even himself is a picture of the greater Joshua, Jesus. And so we can look to a greater one with a different spirit. We, we must look to Jesus, the, the solution. here. We can't stop at Caleb and go, okay, well, let's just try harder to be like him. Why? Well, friends, today we see way more than what Caleb and Moses did. We see way more. The father was 100% delighted in Jesus. Remember when he was baptized? He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know, Caleb says, no, the Lord will delight in us. Or he said, if the Lord delights in us. It was like a... If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us in there. We can say with a 100% certainty, the Lord delights in you and me if we are in Jesus because the Lord delights 100% in him. Before Jesus started his ministry, he says, my boy, my son, I'm pleased in him. We have way more than Caleb had. Uh, Jesus, the scriptures say in 1 Peter 3.18, brought us to God. Caleb is like, he will bring us into the land. Jesus brought us to God and he will bring us to eternal glory. He's committed to doing that. He will start what he finished. The father gave us the son. He gave us Jesus. And in Jesus, he promised that all good things will be a provision of his grace. Yeah, he'll bring us into the promised land and he will give us everything we need to get there. And Jesus is the one who died for rebels. Caleb said, just don't rebel against God. Friends, we do rebel against God. And that's why Jesus came to die for rebels, because he was perfectly submitted to the Father so that he can turn you and me into submitted followers. And lastly, Jesus is God with us. Caleb said, God is with us, but he doesn't know it the way we know it. Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, Jesus became a grasshopper, if you think about it. He, you know, the, the Israelites said, oh, we like grasshoppers in the, in the side of the, of the giants. 
Jesus climbed off the throne of heaven. He, in a sense, became a grasshopper so that he could turn you and me and lead us into the promised land. He can turn us into his sons and daughters. And he defeated, of course, the giants of sin and death on that cross. And now, friends, because of Jesus, every believer has a different spirit. We, we, we don't have to try. If you're a Jesus follower, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You know, and, you know, they came with big fruit to say this land has got so much fruit when they reported about the land. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have a different Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a positive attitude. It's supernatural what God does in us. In spite of what's happening around us. In spite of what's being said around us. Because of the Holy Spirit. We are not just optimistic. We are supernaturally empowered. So friends, as a church, I want to encourage you to have a different spirit this year. And, and while we have to meet like this, you know, we find ourselves in a bit of a wilderness. Okay, We camped a little bit during the summer, tents and you know, small gatherings. We're still in the wilderness. We feel like we're on the edge of a promised land. We're not in yet. We don't have a venue. And I think more than ever, friends, we need to be a community where we can have a different spirit to one another. Make sure you're in a community group, whichever format they meet in. If it's online, be a person like Caleb and Joshua in a community. Have a different spirit. Let's spur one another on. Let's stir one another on. Let's be Caleb's and Joshua's in that sense. And we do that because we depend on Jesus and his spirit. That's all I have to say. I want to encourage you to join us tomorrow night for our corporate prayer time. That's, show up for that. That shows that you, you're, you're crying out to the Lord. You're trusting him as opposed to other things. We're going to pray, you know, in-house. We'll pray for the Yorks again, their family. And there's a few other things. Um, but I want to encourage you, join us 7 to 8. It'll be a Zoom prayer, prayer time. We'll email the link to the whole church tomorrow. And if you didn't get a link, reach out to the office. We'll get it to you. But friends, that's one of the ways that we, we, we are different is we pray. We pray together because we declare in there our trust in our great King. Wonderful. That's all from me. Thank you so much for sticking around.